to a bonus episode of the Club and Country podcast on the 440 Sports Network. Thanks to Moon Taxi, as always, for the music. I'm Wes Bowling, Nashville SC Radio commentator, and I'm joined by a man in transit today, the first ever on-the-road recording of Club and Country. I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, and today a... Uh, a traveler as well lovely day for a road trip lovely day to talk about decision day we won't bury the lead nashville sc is going to host a playoff match at nissan stadium at least one and depending on what happens on decision day on sunday they might be able to host a couple of games and uh, we're going to talk all about that today the ramifications of decision day now you guys already know that news most likely it's been all over social media nashville c had the wallpaper and the press release and all that stuff out just right after that match happened nonetheless tim it is a big moment let's visit that just for a second it's a big accomplishment for this club this was perhaps the primary goal of this team this season heading into the year yeah get to the playoffs but if you can host that playoff match as well as this team typically plays at home um, it was going to be a major accomplishment yeah, and you know, over the course of the season, we've talked about how the the road form teams, but certainly it's not the home form either. So, getting a game at Nissan Stadium, potentially getting multiple games at Nissan Stadium, depending on what happens in other games, not only on decision day, but in the in the second round of the playoffs. If, if New England gets upset and Nashville continues winning, Nashville is through the rest of the Eastern Conference, and you know, similarly, if there are upsets in the Western Conference, they have a chance to even host MLS Cup. Now, obviously, that's very much putting the cart before the horse, but it's definitely something to to look forward to having a few audio breakup issues if if we stop being able to get the gist of what tim is saying we'll just kick him out of the call but but as of now <laughs> we got we got most of that tim so, so we're good okay. um, so on this bonus episode we'll talk about what happens with each result on sunday for nashville SC against new york red bulls and then we're going to talk to one of the most famous former new york red bulls in major league soccer who just happens to play for nashville sc he is captain dax mccarty very pleased to have sat down with dax a couple of days ago to talk about this matchup talk about the season about his aspirations in broadcasting maybe even a little bit about him uh, acting like a former red bull and getting into it with an nycfc player and maxi morales to earn his first career red card an awesome discussion so we're not going to delay very long getting to that but first let's talk about the red bulls match and then on the other side of the break we'll go a little deeper into that as well as what else is happening in major league soccer i'll give my predictions for what's going to happen in each sunday match and how that playoff bracket would look if it does and i'll inevitably be very wrong but that's okay we'll try <laughs> um, so first off if nashville sc tim beats new york red bulls Fairly simple equation. They earn second place if they better Philly's result at NYCFC. Yeah, at this stage, you know, if you're hoping for second place, it's do better than Philadelphia, regardless of what it is. Uh, if you don't win, there are still opportunities to, to finish in second place. If, if Philly and, and New York City FC have uh, weird outcomes and Nashville gets a draw, they still have the opportunity to finish second. So there are a lot of permutations, only nine of them left, that are relevant to Nashville SC's final seating here. Uh, win, lose, or draw in those two particular games. So that's something that uh, is going to be, you know, I like that they have the decision day uh, all at one time because it's going to be exciting uh, up in the press box watching this game. There are going to be all kinds of different games to follow if you want to, if you're if you're an MLS sicko like we are. But definitely if there's one other one to follow, it is that NYC-Philadelphia match. As you mentioned, a draw for Nashville SC against New York Red Bulls means the boys of gold will finish third place unless, again, Philadelphia were to lose in New York, which is quite possible. I mean, these are two teams that have played tight matches mm-hmm. this year, and NYC is on a three-game win streak. So uh, a draw 
and you're likely third place, but there's a possibility still, again, if you're bettering Philadelphia's result. A loss, on the other hand, Tim, means Nashville will finish third place unless NYC beats Philadelphia, in which case um, NYC would pass the boys in gold on the tiebreaker and Nashville would be in fourth place. Yeah, when you look at the options here, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, Nashville has sealed the home game uh, for the first round, but unless they get that second seed, there's no guarantee of another home game. So it's something that um, when you look at what's going on around the rest of the conference this weekend, it, it can still affect how Nashville ends the season for sure. Mostly just that game, but yes, it's something that's going to be really important to keep an eye on. You mentioned those nine permutations that, that Nashville only finishes fourth in one of those scenarios. How important is it to avoid that fourth slot, to avoid the trip to New England? You look at what Nashville did last time they played in New England, and they, they did earn a hard-fought draw. You can't draw in the playoffs, though, so it's something that even if you think Nashville has New England's number, the only team, I think, in the East to go undefeated against them this year, it's still the hardest team in the league. They, they won the Supporters' Shield. They set a points record for a reason. So it's going to be intense, and uh, we're excited about what's going to be happening Sunday in Nashville. But also elsewhere, Tim, Decision Day is going to be a hot mess. Um, only four teams of the seven playoff spots have clinched, and there are six teams vying for those remaining three spots. Yeah, when you look at it, I think Atlanta is pretty much guaranteed to be in. They would have to, uh, I think, get a negative eight goal differential against against a certain team. And um, that would require losing to Cincinnati by at least uh, nine goals. So I don't think that's going to happen, probably. <laughs> Seems unlikely. Who knows? Who knows? But it might happen. And I think D.C. has a really hard uh, you know, road to making up the ground that they have. Kind of the same situation where they, they need not only to win, but they need some help uh, around the rest of the league. So I think you're looking at it. Realistically, it's kind of more of those middle spots that, that are still up for grabs. But it's still... Something that when you look at what the table is going to look like, you know, shortly after 4.30 p.m. our time, it's going to be interesting to see what has changed and, and maybe what hasn't. One of those teams in the fight is Red Bulls. They're going to be motivated mm-hmm. to earn a result. A win or a draw gets them in. The win would secure mm-hmm. a playoff spot on the finish as high as fifth. A draw, they'd likely hang on to that seventh spot. There's a chance they could move up depending on what happens elsewhere, I think. But uh, a loss and as many as three other teams could catch them. So this is not a New York team that's going to be coming in they don't really bunker anyway they like to high press like to get after you they're going to be doing that to nashville on sunday yeah it'll be interesting to see because nashville and new york both benefit from a draw yeah and and similarly the game that really impacts the red bulls the most montreal and orlando both benefit from a draw but montreal maybe needs a little bit more than just a draw to guarantee Mm -hmm. their path into the playoffs because they need Red Bulls to lose, basically. So it's an interesting situation where if Red Bulls, if Red Bulls can kind of, you know, play the game just right, they, uh, they, their style doesn't necessarily play into it, but it's something that they could, uh, maybe a gentleman's draw would make the most sense, but I don't think we'll see them go for that at all. Well, that's the thing. You know, you, you see a Gary Smith team going on the road to anybody in this league, and you'd say scoreless draw, yeah, that's within yeah. the realm of possibility. Red Bulls, you, yeah. you don't foresee that being as, as likely of an mm-hmm. option as intensely. Because if they sit back and try to play for that, they're they're losing their area of strength and they're going to be easier to break down than than a Nashville team on the road. Um, should be really interesting. We'll talk a little more about that match on the other side of, of what's up next, though. And that is a special interview with Nashville SC captain Dax McCarty, who talks about everything from his days at Red Bulls to the unceremonious way that that ended, what that means for Nashville and for him on Sunday and uh, his excitement for what this team has accomplished this year. Let's get to our interview with Dax McCarty. 
So Dax McCarty ranks fourth in career MLS regular season appearances. Nashville's captain has played 51 matches in gold, but a plurality of the matches he's played in his career were in a New York Red Bulls jersey. 198 of them. He won two supporter shields for Red Bull, and as Nashville gets ready to play his former team on Sunday, on decision day, we thought he'd be the best person with whom to connect. So Dax, thanks for taking a few minutes with us today. Ah, it's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. No, you've been slowed here recently by a, a nagging injury. How are you feeling, first of all? Yeah, I feel really good. I feel really good. It was a really strange little play in training. Uh, nothing, you know, nothing too crazy. Just a really weird movement that I don't normally make, and I felt a little little twinge in my hamstring. And so at this time of year, um, you know, with the amount of games that we've had piled on with the travel and the, the schedule has just been so crazy, we just wanted to be really safe and really prudent um, and, you know, just, just take it, be very cautious about how quickly to come back because I don't want to put myself in a situation where I could potentially hurt the team even more by not being available. I mean, that's the playoffs, obviously, once they were secured, the most important thing was just trying to be available for the playoffs. What is rehab like? Maybe even especially, you know, later in your career versus when you were a much younger guy, is it, is it just hang out and wait? Is it, is it a specific treatment that you have to do? Is it, is it stretching? What, what sort of like is the process of rehabbing an injury? Well, guys, I've been really lucky in my career. I, I've, I've, you know, knock on wood, not had to deal with a, a ton of rehab in my career. A few, a few, you know, injuries here and there, a few contact injuries on my knees that have been more weight you know, more, Mm -hmm. more patella bone type of injuries where if you have a small fracture, you know, you can't really do a lot of rehab. You just, you ride the bike, you, you let the bone heal. And then once it's healed, you're good to go. As far as muscular injuries, um, I've been pretty lucky, you know, guys that are uh, super athletic and fast tend to get more (laughs) muscle injuries. I was was going to say the sprint button was the the thing that you usually don't do. I I don't have to deal with a lot of that because I'm not too fast. And I wasn't too fast earlier in my career either, but, um, when it, when it comes to, to hamstrings, I mean, they, they're really tricky because, uh, you know, in a game, even if you're fast or slow, you know, you still have to be able to sprint and you still have to be able to change direction quickly and, and, and make, you know, movements at kind of at the drop of a hat. And if you can't do that, if, if you don't, if your muscle is not fully recovered and, and can't do that properly, then you're going to set yourself back for, for weeks and potentially even months. And so you, you take it very cautiously, you take it slow, obviously it depends on where you're at in the season where you're at in your career. Uh, you know, some guys are quick healers. Some guys take a little bit longer, you know, luckily for me, I haven't really had to deal with much of that. I mean, here in Nashville, this is kind of the first little, you know, injury that I've picked up and it's just at a really unfortunate time. Thankfully it, it wasn't too serious. And, you know, I'm very hopeful, uh, that I'll continue to trend on the right track here and be available for the game against the Red Bulls. I know you're you're really eager to get in there. If you are going to have to miss that match, and certainly the ones you've missed before, what kind of of, of an asset has Todd Brynanuga been to be able to come in and and provide that dependable option for this team? When when you've had to miss some time, on a ball, of course, has been on international breaks and miss a little time here and there. To have that third guy who can step in and be so dependable, what does that mean to to take the load a little bit off your shoulders? Yeah, it's great. I think it's great for for guys like, you know, Annabelle and, and myself who are a little bit older, more experienced later on in our careers who have a lot of games under our belt. Um, it's important for us to, to be able to, to get a break every now and then knowing that you can rely on your depth and, and younger guys to step in and, and not have the level drop. Uh, but I think it's even better for Gary Smith. You know, it, <laughs> I think every coach will tell you that uh, player selection headaches, you know, while difficult, that's good for the team. And, and essentially, um, you know, Brian Anunga has been that kind of third guy in that rotation that's helped us, I think, more so than a little couple of the other guys. But 
you, you can't go without mentioning a guy like Matt LaGrasa, who's always ready to step in and play in the midfield when you need him. He has put in, you know, really good performances and shifts when called upon. And then more recently, a guy like Alex Moil, who, you know, is predominantly a wide player and, and a winger throughout basically his whole career. He's, he's kind of transitioned now in our new formation. He's playing a little bit more centrally. He's playing a little bit of wing back. His versatility and, and his quality when, when he's able to, to play and get on the field, these guys just add a, another dimension to our team. And so I've praised our depth before and, and I'll continue to praise it because that's how successful teams are built. As Gary is dealing with some of those player selection headaches that do happen and happen with any team due to injury and rotation and all that, as captain, does he come to you and, and talk through any of those things or, or gauge the mood of the team? What is your level of, of interaction with him one-on-one -on -one and when he's trying to make difficult decisions and wants to consult a, a representative from the squad? Yeah, Gary and I have a, a great relationship. Um, other than, you know, the fact that that he uh, he took an MLS Cup ring from me uh, <laughs> back, back in 2010, you know, we've had some very productive and fantastic conversations as a, you know, a coach and a captain. Uh, he does come to me on occasion and, and get my opinion, pick my, my brain on, on certain things going on with the team, whether it be uh, – formations, whether it be personnel, um, you know, and, and I think we have a good enough relationship where I can be honest with him. I can tell him my thoughts, even if it doesn't necessarily mesh with what he's thinking. And, um, you know, the, it's a two way street. I think players will tell you that if they feel respected and they feel a, a sense of importance from a coach, then you're going to give that coach the exact same respect going back the other direction. And so the lines of communication with Gary have always been really honest and open. Um, you know, ultimately he values player opinion, but he's the boss, you know, he's the guy that the big decisions rest on his shoulders and any top coach, any, any coach that's, you know, worth their salt will make the decisions based on how, what they feel, you know, and, and what their opinion is. And they, they take every, everything into account, but ultimately it's been, uh, I think it's been a really productive relationship between Gary, myself and all the players really. Sticking on the concept and, and kind of the topic of Gary, I think people have been surprised of what with what this club has been able to do in the first two years. And I think a lot of that credit has gone back to Gary, perhaps deservedly. So what is it that he does that allows him to put together a team that may end up being more than what looks like the sum of its parts? Yeah, I think, I think Gary's uh, I think he's really adapted as a coach and I think he's, mm -hmm. he's changed a little bit and he's gotten uh, I guess uh, if you will, a little bit more progressive in the way that he thinks, you know, I don't think Gary, I mean, you, you might have to ask them him this I'm not really sure but I don't think he was a guy who who relied too much back earlier in his career on different data analytics and statistical you know things that that maybe the nerds uh, present to you as a coach right I mean you know Gary's very much you know <laughs> Gary's very much an old school guy who you know he he makes all his decisions or he did based on what he saw with his own two eyes right and and as a coach to get to the highest level to win trophies you do have to trust your own eyes. You have to trust your instincts. You have to trust what you believe. But once you can start introducing data uh, that's tangible and, and that makes sense and that you can compute uh, and that, that you start to match that up with what you see on the field, I think that helps you evolve. And Gary's evolved, right? I mean, early on when we started playing in, in 2020, um, you know, we were pretty much strictly a, a 4-2-3-1 type of team. And, and you know, this year, he, he kind of figured, hey, you know, maybe we need to try to adapt and try to become a little bit more, uh, you know, not necessarily solid defensively because we always have been, but maybe present a, a few more problems to teams going forward. And with the formation change, you know, that was something that I think brought the best out of some of our attacking players, guys like Randall, Hani and CJ. 
Um, you know, and then he just, you know, he continues to analyze games in a way that he puts his players in, in position to succeed. And that's really what a coach's job is to do is to, to take the parts that you have on your team and, and really adapt, you know, to, to the different injuries and the different personnel you have, the different strengths of each player. Um, you know, and the best coaches are always the ones that I think are a little bit more open-minded, right. And they don't have the mentality of, Oh, as a player, you have to adapt to exactly what I want. No, it's a little bit more of a two-way street, right? I'll adapt a little bit to you. You adapt a little bit to what I'm looking for. And hopefully we can find this middle ground where we can get the best out of, out of the players and the team. So I think Gary's just been brilliant at, at, at doing that. He's really connected, I think, with, with all the players. And, and you know, his, his foundation defensively is always one that's going to be very difficult to beat. You took us back to that 2010 MLS Cup final when you were in Dallas. Let's rewind uh, a little more recently to your time at Red Bull. Six seasons, 15 goals, 24 assists. You finished atop the league table a couple times, and you were the captain. And then in a random January moment, they trade you without notice. Um, and you were publicly clear at the time that you weren't a fan of how that trade was handled. You were especially critical uh, of Jesse Marsh, who's now, of course, at RB Leipzig. As you prepare to line up against Red Bulls now in a consequential match, and I know you've played them like nine times since 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 he left, but but do some of those feelings still burn when you line up against those kids? Not particularly. Um, I have uh, you guys know this probably more so than me, but the team has just changed so much, mm-hmm. you know, from from when I was there to to what it is now. I think there's you know two guys left on the roster maybe that I played with uh, Sean Davis, uh, Ryan Mira, and, and maybe Danny Royer, um, you know, three guys. So I think, you know, for those coals to still be burning hot, like they were <laughs> in the beginning, it would have to be more of the same guys that I played with. Right. Cause the, the, it brings back certain memories that you have, right. Great memories uh, of a, a, a moment and point in time in my career where you just, you felt on top of the world. Uh, we just had such a great team uh, with, with such a, played in such a fantastic stadium um, with great fans, great support. Um, and, and we won, man. That's, that's what makes playing sports so special is when you, when you get a group of guys together that not only get along so well off the field, but they win. That's just, that, that's something that's very difficult to replicate, right? And, and we're building, I think, something very similar here in Nashville. Uh, I get a lot of the same feelings and a lot of the same emotions, but Particularly, you know, because it's been so long since that trade happened, um, you know, you grow, you learn, you evolve, um, you kind of let bygones be bygones and you realize you, you, ref- you become a little bit wiser in your older age to say, all right, let's take a deep breath and think about how many great memories you had there, even if it didn't end the way you wanted it to. Um, you know, this is kind of the nature of professional sports, right? There's a lot of unpredictable factors that go into a player's career and um, you know, you can reflect on, on those moments and be angry about it, or you can think about the good moments. And I choose to think about the, the good moments because there were a lot of them. Once a Red Bull, always a Red Bull. I know you made some great memories after NYCFC came on board uh, <laughs> against, against the Pigeons. Uh, and you made a new memory against NYCFC earlier this year, your first career red card in a scrape with Maxi Morales. Can you tell us that inside story a little bit? And, and by the way, this is an uncensored podcast. Go as deep as you want. I wish I could. I made, I made a few, I I will say I I will later on in my career, maybe when I retire, I will, I will absolutely give an unfettered uncensored version of my true feelings uh, of that situation. Um, As, as, as is though, I, I promised some, people high up in, in our organization that I would not be <laughs> ill of it. Uh, but what I will say, what I will say is this, is that uh, you cannot play for as long as I've played. You cannot play in MLS or any league in the world for as long as I've played 
uh, and have zero red cards in your career. Uh, and then all of a sudden be some sort of violent conduct offender. You can have a rash challenge every now and then mm -hmm. maybe you can, you know, make a couple tactical fouls where the referee feels like he needs to give you two yellow cards. Um, but the, the fact that there was a straight red card given for violent conduct when I wasn't told or wasn't familiar with any moment in that whole scuffle where violent conduct could have been committed. Uh, it's really just dis dis disappointing, really disappointing. And um, look, there have been, I, I think VAR has overwhelmingly been a positive for soccer and for football around the world. I, I think VAR is uh, an important aspect in getting calls correct, mainly when it comes to offside and goals. And obviously we can talk about it till we're blue in the face, but I don't understand what the point of VAR is if you're not going to use it in instances like this, where there is a scuffle, right? Maybe there are hands to the face or punches thrown. And the only thing I'll say is, is that if the, if the criteria that was used to send me and Maxi Morales off was hands to the face, then there should have been five red cards given out and doled out among both teams, because that is the criteria that was used to send us off. So, you know, it's just with, with, with pro and with VAR, they have a difficult job on their hands. It's never going to be perfect, as we all know. Um, I, I just would like to see a little bit more consistency across the board. And you guys know as well as I do that there are moments where mass confrontation happens, scuffles happen. Soccer players are a bunch of little pansies walking around when they get in big scuffles, right? There's a whole bunch of chest puffing and nothing ever happens, right? And a little more happened in our scuffle, but nothing really too egregious. I just think two yellow cards for both players there. You move on, you get to halftime. Tempers calm down. It's just, it's just no need for it to escalate to what it did. So obviously I'm, I'm still disappointed in, in that being my only red card of my career. I think it was unjust, <laughs> but you, you, li you live with it. You learn to, to live with it and fight another day. And in the, the referee meetings we have next year before the season, I will be sure to be vocal. <laughs> so, so in your, in your next career, it's, it's officiating, right? You're going to be that on-field referee making those <laughs> decisions. The right I, way, I don't, right? I don't know if someone could place a blank check in my lap for, for the amount of money it would take to, to get me to become a referee, but maybe, maybe someone can make it. Maybe John Ingram will make it happen one day. Well, I mean, in that respect, you've, you've kind of maybe dabbled in what could be your next career with commentary this year. And I know Wes, uh, has is a color commentator himself for the club, obviously. So he, it's a place close to his heart. What was that experience like for you when you managed to step into the booth when you were uh, taking your break for a game there? That was really special. That was a really special moment for for me personally. Um, you know, obviously the circumstances surrounding it were disappointing, like we just talked about. But um, the fact that the club, uh, you know, reached out to me and, and wanted to give me that opportunity because they know I've done some things like that in the past. And, and, you know, I wasn't going to have anything going on. Uh, it was just, a, I, think a I think it was just a perfect storm of an opportunity to, to be able to go and, and, and really see what the whole process is like, because I think for fans and for people like myself who don't necessarily have a behind the scenes account of, of everything that goes into it, it was really special and it was really eye-opening because a lot goes into it. There's a lot of people involved in making a broadcast be successful. And I've done a few things with MLS. Uh, I've done a few things with, you know, Turner sports and, and Fox and, and ESPN, but nothing to the level of what I did uh, for, for our game. I believe it was against Montreal. Um, that, that was, that was really cool. And it was really cool to kind of peel back the curtain and see, you know, what guys like Tony and what guys like Jamie do, on almost a weekly basis and guys like Wes, I mean, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And if you are arrogant and you under prepare, 
uh, I think people notice that and that comes through uh, on the broadcast. And so, you know, I had, a, I had a lot of fun. It's, it's difficult to do while you're still playing. It's hard to, yeah. it's hard to sit there and, and criticize your coach or criticize players that you're playing with. It's a lot it's easier. Opportunity, to, though. It's a lot easier to pump them up, <laughs> which is what I try to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty honest guy in general. You know, if, if, if someone made a, a bad pass, I probably said it was a bad pass, you know, and probably said it was crap. And I would have told guys like, <laughs> guys like Jack Mayer, you know, I'll, I'll tell them the same thing in person. So, um, yeah, it was a really fun experience. Uh, you know, definitely just uh, another area of, of soccer that I think I find really enjoyable. Yeah, it warmed my heart to hear you were doing that. And then I heard you do that. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm the radio color guy. You could take my job when you retire. <laughs> my heart is no longer warm. Uh, and I, I, that's what really struck me was how, how challenging it must have been to be a current player. And, and not even just levy criticism, but also know what you can and can't say with regard to some of the tactics out there, right? You don't want to give yeah. future opponents any fodder you know, or any, any strategic research. What was it like to walk that line between giving that accurate analysis and observations of what was happening, keys to the match, while guarding a lot of those details that you knew you probably shouldn't share on air. Yeah, it was difficult. You know, I, I had to have, uh, you know, Shaw, Shaw Brown, who produces the, the, uh, all, all the broadcasts, Jamie Watson and Tony husband, you know, they, they kind of held my hand a little bit through it and said, <laughs> look, you know, these are, these are the, uh, the areas that, that, you know, you should try to focus on. Um, you want to be as natural as possible. I think for a guy like me who, you know, I, I'm very, uh, rigid in the way that I see the game. I want it played in a certain way. I want to see it played in a certain way. Mm. Um, but kind of calling it how you see it is what people I think appreciate and respect. Um, and, and to kind of toe that line between, uh, you know, being critical of, of difficult plays, but also being complimentary when, when something good happens, um, you never want to come across as disingenuous and you never want to come across as faking it. Right. Or, or, you know, leaning too too hard one way or the other because people see right through that. And so, uh, it was difficult, but, you know, when you work with a guy like Tony Husband, who's ex- as experienced and, and good at his job as he is, you know, it makes it easy. And and Tony gave me a few layups and, and he made me really comfortable, you know, the whole broadcast. And I, I think my favorite part of it was definitely the postgame interviews where, you know, it's a good result. It's a win. And, and we're talking to, you know, Gary and Walker and Joe and these guys that I kind of can have a little bit of banter with. I mean, that's mm-hmm. definitely a, a unique, I think, experience in terms of being able to broadcast and talk to your buddies. So really good experience overall. Um, hopefully I, I wasn't too bad. And, and, you know, I, I don't think I want to do that in the next couple of years because hopefully that means I'm still playing. Um, but yeah, definitely something to, uh, to consider after a retirement comes. Well, you mentioned banter with your buddies. One of them was in the booth next to you and Jamie Watson. Uh, you guys <laughs> yeah. go way back to, to your college days. Ever imagine you'd be sharing a broadcast booth with them, not just a soccer pitch. Man, never, never in a million years. Uh, it's, you know, soccer is, uh, it's a small close knit community. I think, you know, if you're in the soccer world, you know, you, you know, friends of friends who everyone's connected in some, in one way or another, but, uh, it's also really big and vast and, and especially in this country, which is so big and there's so many different teams and opportunities out there for, for people to be in different cities. You know, the fact that Jamie was able to, uh, you know, not just Jamie, but both of us were able to circle back our careers to cross paths here in Nashville. It's really special. And it's, it's really great to have someone who, you know, I've known for a long time, went to college with, played with professionally in Dallas. Uh, it's great to have someone here like that. And uh, it's not just him, right? It's, it's, it's other people, right? Guys like uh, Mike Jacobs, right? Who was coaching against me when he was at Duke and I was at North Carolina. Uh, you know, Chance Myers, who we were in a few national team camps together, um, you know, played against each other a lot with Sporting Kansas City, played against each other a lot with the Olympic Development Program, ODP, which I don't even know if that still exists. 
Um, but just all kinds of, of different friendly faces that you run into. Uh, that's the beauty, I think, of sport and, and the beauty, I think, in general of, of being at a club that uh, values, you know, a, a lot of different opinions and diversity and, and, and being able to uh, mine the, the, not just the country, but the globe for uh, different aspects of our organization. So it's been really cool to see. I mean, you alluded to it a little bit there that you hope you're, you're playing for a few more years. Is this what you want to do after after you leave the game of soccer? First of all, I'm older than you, and I'm like 30 years away from retiring from my first career, so don't make me feel <laughs> horrible like that. But is this what you want to do? And then, like, I mean, has na- coming to Nashville maybe reinvigorated you and made you think I can play a little bit longer? After I, I know your time in Chicago was a little bit of a struggle, and obviously you haven't sure. liked how some of your previous stops ended necessarily, too. Yeah, I, I think that for for me being involved in the game of soccer in some capacity is a non-negotiable. That's Mm -hmm. I've, 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 I've already, that's something that in my head for a really long time has been in my head to say, I just, I just am connected to this game so deeply. I I love this game so much. It's brought me so much joy and and passion. It sparked so much, you know, thinking and growth uh, for me personally and professionally in my life. I, I can't, I would never be able to leave it behind. I just wouldn't, you know, I would, I would, I would drive myself and my wife crazy if I was sitting behind a desk, crunching numbers somewhere, you know, it would just, and first of all, I wouldn't be good at it. I'm not good at math or science or, <laughs> or any, any other, you know, of these subjects in school that I, that I was a very average C student in. Um, so soccer, it's just so special to me, whether that is broadcasting, whether that's coaching, um, whether that's in a more, more of a, uh, a technical role uh, as part of a front office. I really don't know. You know, that's why I am, I'm getting my U S soccer uh, B license right now, my coaching license while I'm still playing, you know, I've tried to do a couple broadcasting gigs while I'm still playing just to, to make sure that when that day does come, when I do, you know, find myself retiring, you know, I, I've, I've, I've sampled a few of the different opportunities that could potentially be out there. And that's one thing that I think a lot of players fall into that hole or that trap of is, um, you know, they kind of let retirement sneak up on them and they're just not ready. And I don't want that to happen to me. And I definitely want to be a guy who who goes out when I do retire. I want to go out on my own terms. I don't want to go out, you know, thinking what if or, you know, bouncing around to a few different clubs. I've had this conversation with a lot of people and I really love it here in Nashville. I don't really see myself going anywhere else as long as the club will have me. Uh, you know, I want to stay and, and I feel great, guys. I mean, other than this little hammy problem I've had, I feel really good. I feel really fit and I still feel really motivated to continue to play for at least a few more years. And so, um, you know, the moment where I feel my game is not contributing to the success of a team and, and my level of play falls off so dramatically that I just can't watch replays of games anymore because I'm so disgusted with how I've played. Um, you know, that's when I'll call it a day. That's when I'll call it quits. And, and hopefully that's not for another few years, but you really never know in this game. It's really unpredictable. Uh, you don't know what the, what the bosses are going to tell you one day. So hopefully a few more years, uh, but until then I'll, I'll keep trying to give my best for Nashville SC on the field. But we'll give you another broadcasting cap here as we, as we start to close things out, which should put on your analyst hat again for a minute. And without asking you to divulge, obviously the game plan for Sunday, uh, you know the Red Bull way as well as anybody, um, the high pressing, the intensity. Yep. Um, Nashville struggled to break that down in that first meeting. You know, I think we see that a lot with teams playing Red Bull for the first time, right? It just sure. throws them off no matter how well they've prepared. What's the best way to beat that frenetic Red Bulls press and to dictate play the way you guys have all season at home? Well, yeah, I, I, 
I could be wrong. I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but I think when we went to play that game at Red Bull, we were coming off uh, an extended international break, mm-hmm. if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yep. So we mm-hmm. had had we hadn't played a game in a few weeks. We were missing a few players, and that was probably the worst game we possibly could have played coming off of a, a longer break because you guys know the Red Bull way. It's it's high ener- energy, high pace, frenetic chaotic uh you know duels and tackles and headers and 50 50 balls and kind of everything where you know red bull the way that they train is they they train short they train intense they train sharp and they they want to create havoc that's kind of the general red bull philosophy is to create havoc on the field and then be better than the other team at adjusting to that so we didn't adjust to it well uh we conceded uh our, the first goal that we conceded if i remember correctly was like a long direct ball into our box it was a knockdown uh, an unbelievable finish, but up until that point, we were very much in the game mm-hmm. and we were very much uh, giving them as much as they gave us. And so, you know, with them, it's very much a, a case of, you know, who, when's the dam going to break first and who is it going to break for, you know, if you score first against them, you can control the pace of the game a little bit better, right? You can play a little bit more directly. You can use uh, guys like CJ Sapong and, and, you know, guys like Hani and Yonder and, and, you know, Ake Loba, guys who are good at holding onto the ball. You need to play through them because if you try to play, you know, short one, two touch passes through the midfield, that's what they, that's what they live for. So mm-hmm. I, I think that making sure that you do not allow them to get joy from pressing you, that that's a key. So whether, if that mm-hmm. means playing more direct, that's what we have to do. And, and we have to be prepared for that. Uh, you can't be scared or afraid to try to play good soccer, um, <clears throat> but you also can't give them an opportunity to get their tails up and, and press you in your own half. So that's going to be really important. That's going to be really valuable. Uh, I think that we'll probably watch video and highlights of, of our game from them uh, earlier this year, uh, because that was a difficult game and they did get the best of us on, on that day, but uh, that'll be extra motivation for us to go and, and return the favor. And, you know, if it means that we could potentially knock them out of the playoffs, great. You know, I'll, uh, I'll have a nice big <laughs> smile on my face. For doing that. Uh, last question for you. The aspiration of any club in a year, obviously is to win MLS cup. Uh, but, but realistically speaking, as you guys set benchmarks and expectations for year two of an expansion build heading into this season, would you have imagined you didn't be in this position to, to play for second place and, and have a chance, as good a chance as really anybody, to, to be there standing at the end of this whole thing? And then finally, if so, what is it about the DNA of this club that that has that championship spirit? You've played on Supporter Shield teams. You've played on great teams. You've played on some that, that didn't have so much success. What is it that makes this team special and, and will give it a chance to be there at the end when all is said and done? Well, yeah, I, I did expect us to be fighting for, for high up the table uh, because that's, that's what successful clubs do. They, they don't shoot for seventh place squeaking into the playoffs. That's just not, that's just not how successful ideologies and mindsets and cultures at clubs are, are built. You know, you, you have to try to shoot high, even if it means, even if it's maybe slightly unrealistic, you, you do have to shoot high. Um, and when we have, what we do have in abundance is good leadership. And that's from, that's from the front office to <clears throat> the coaching staff to uh, obviously a lot of players with high level experience we do have good leadership and then that filters down throughout the club. Uh, so, so we're, we make sure that every day in training, we try to keep a high standard. We try to keep the level high. Uh, and that means you play at a high level. And I think with one year under our belt, a really strange year, as we all know, uh, with COVID being able to just make the playoffs and not just make the playoffs, but get two wins, uh, against two teams that, that were, you know, good teams, uh, in the playoffs. I mean, that, that, that showed that the model of our club was working 
And it gave us more belief to come into this year and say, well, we should be aiming higher. We should be aiming for winning trophies and should be aiming to, to fight for a top three place in the conference. Uh, maybe, maybe the, the supporter shield was, was one where you say, all right, you don't think about that until maybe later in the season, which even now, you know, before new England started really running away with it at the back half of the season, you know, we, we were still within, within striking distance. And so, you know, those, those are things that all go into it. Um, but yeah, the, the success or failure of a club, it, it always lays at the feet of, of everyone involved in the organization, not just one or two people. So it's been, it's been a really fun ride so far. We're obviously going for trophies. The expectation of myself and everyone else at the club is to win MLS cup. So that's what we're going to try to do. Well, Dax, thank you. They say that, that if you've talked with, with Dax McCarty, you're within one degree of separation with pretty much everybody in global soccer, I would say at this <laughs> point, maybe two. We've, we've talked to Jamie Watson. We've talked to Brian Dunseth. Uh, pleased to have talked to you. Thank you so much for taking the time, and best of luck on Sunday. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Dax is always a tremendous interview. Tim, it was our first chance to sit down with him in this setting uh, on this podcast. What are your reflections from, uh, from the discussion with Nashville's captain? Yeah, he's, he's definitely quite the raconteur. I don't think anybody's going to ever accuse him of being at a loss for words, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and, and just a real quick update to what he was talking about with his rehab. Um, at training on Wednesday, he was out there training with the team. He's a guy who, uh, if he can play, he will. And I think we're seeing that, um, based on what I saw at training on Wednesday, it's, it's extremely likely that he's going to be fully fit by the time the game rolls around. Yeah, it's great to hear uh, for him and for Nashville SC, certainly. Uh, just to add a bit to one thing he discussed, you know, he was talking about his relationship with with Gary. And, of course, he joked that, that Gary and uh, Colorado beat Dallas in the 2010 MLS Cup final, which they did up in snowy Toronto. Um, but there is a very close relationship there. And many times in conversation with Gary, he's referenced going to the team and talking to players, in particular, of course, his captain Dax. I don't think that's uncommon necessarily across soccer or MLS. The captain is kind of the liaison for the players, but it seems like it is a very uh, two-way relationship where they both have that yeah. license to go talk to the other. And, and and Gary uses Dax perhaps more than a lot of managers use their captains to really gauge the mood of the team. Gary's still in charge and will still make the final call, as Dax emphasized, but I think mm -hmm. the relationship there is very healthy and there's a strong back and forth. Yeah, and it's incredible the fit that these guys have found in each other. Gary is a very good players, coach, man, manager, and Dax is exactly the sort of captain that makes that all work in the locker room. And it's just obviously when you look at the job that um, Gary has done building this team and when you look at the job that Mike Jacobs did building the roster, they found perfect fits for what they needed and it's worked out um, as well as anybody could have expected so far. Before we give you a quick preview of Nashville and Red Bull on Sunday, let's quickly visit the last meeting between these two teams in June. Awkward bounce here. Volley pass. Fabio. He shoots. He scores. Out of nothing. In the 37th minute, Red Bulls have charged in front. It is Fabio scoring his first goal in Red Bulls red. The leading goal creator in MLS has now tallied his first for himself. It was a 2-0 win for New York Red Bulls. It was Nashville's first loss of the season. It was up at Red Bull Arena. Goals from Fabio. I can't believe it's not better. That's what Nashville's defense said after that goal. And Kyle Duncan on either side of the half. But the XG in that 2-0 loss, Tim, was closer than the score. It was 1.2 to 0 0.8 in favor of Red Bulls. Uh, it, was, it was a relatively choppy match, as you expect from Red Bull at home, quite frankly. Uh, but Nashville only managed one shot on target. Really had a hard time against that Red Bulls press. Yeah, and it's something that you probably wouldn't have expected out of Nashville to go and just completely wilt in a situation. But um, I think, you know, when you look at some of the guys who particularly struggled, 
Alex Muehl had kind of an, an emotional homecoming playing mm-hmm. against his, the club that he grew up playing for. Um, I, I believe, you know, some of the guys that struggled hadn't really faced a true MLS caliber Red Bulls press before. And that's something that now that they have that experience, it's probably going to help them. Um, Red Bull is, is traditionally one of the best home teams versus uh, when they go on the road, it doesn't go nearly as well. So it hasn't quite been the case this year. But I do think when you look at what went so wrong last time, there are reasons to believe that it won't necessarily persist this time around. So that's the question I wanted to ask quickly next. Does the press travel well? Uh, you know, I think that is the orthodoxy in MLS is that you go up there to their place and they play their home pitch so well and they're so intense and high energy and it doesn't always translate to the road. Uh, this year, Red Bulls has second most the second most road wins in the East, third best road mm-hmm. defense. And so that press is, is doing some work, but it's not necessarily converting into goals. Only 19 road goals this year. That's uh, actually one fewer than a Nashville team that has had many scoreless draws away from home. Uh, this year, is there something different that's happening with that, with, with New York Red Bulls that, that's enabling that press to work well? Yeah, I think some of it is, is going to be statistical randomness, but I do think um, Gerhard Struber is kind of trying to do um, similar to what we've seen recent Red Bull coaches do ever since Jesse Marsh left. It seemed like as everyone has tried to do the same thing is add a little bit more to the press. So it's not just the press. Obviously, it ultimately led to Chris Armas's demise there. Mm-hmm. But I think when they do find the right coach who can continue kind of that pressing and add add what you would like to see in terms of possession maybe, um, not play the long ball quite as much. And I think that's a bit of what Struber is really doing. In it. And ultimately, I think um, when it comes to kind of equalizing your home and road results, a big part of it comes down to talent. And I think uh, this isn't necessarily the most talented Red Bulls team. Uh, obviously, <laughs> when they had Dax there, there was a little guy that you're familiar with named Thierry Henry playing with them. I, I don't think there's perhaps been a better player in MLS, maybe Zlatan, um, ever. So that, that's something to be stated for. But at the same time, the talent is is fitting the system in a way that it hasn't probably since Henri has, has been gone. So I think that's helped them kind of uh, level off a little bit of what had been a, a pretty wild ride for, on home versus road. Don't defame my man Thierry Henry by mentioning Zlatan <laughs> in the same sentence as him. Don't even go there. Uh, in MLS, uh, that's right. Zlatan, Zlatan certainly has the advantage in meme-worthy moments in MLS. Well, uh, well, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> that, that's absolutely true. Um, and not just MLS, but around the globe, any league ever. Zlatan's going to be top of the table there. Uh, one more <laughs> note. they uh, There is no Zlatan. There's certainly no Thierry Henry on the pitch for New York Red Bulls on Sunday, and they're going to be without one of their key attackers. Patrick Kamala earned a yellow card against Atlanta uh, on Wednesday night. He will be out due to yellow card suspension. What impact could that have? Yeah, without without Klimala, it's a, it's a very different situation to what they've preferred to do this year. They'll still have Fabio. Um, Klimala does lead the team in XG by a wide margin. He's converting very poorly. Um, he only has two more goals than Fabio, eight to six. But Fabio is also converting pretty poorly, and that's been one of the stories for this Red Bulls team. So um, obviously, if there was somebody who was converting better, they'd be playing that guy. So Klimala is, is the guy racking up the XG, and, and they'll be hurting without him. I think they do have enough pieces, though, to kind of compensate for that for sure. So we'll briefly look at each match. Just going to list them and the stakes, and then Tim will ask you which you're going to be following besides the obvious New York, Philadelphia. And first we'll get into that. NYC and Philly. The winner of of that one finishes top three. If it's Philly that wins, 
uh, Philly will finish second. Uh, so that's going to be maybe the other blockbuster match besides uh, Nashville and Red Bulls. And then the third would be Montreal and Orlando. Uh, if there's a winner in that match, the loser is eliminated. The winner would make the playoffs. If there is a draw between those two, Orlando is guaranteed to advance. Hard to believe that Orlando could miss the playoffs if something goes wrong for them on the road. And yet that's exactly the world in which they find themselves. Uh, Atlanta, Cincinnati. Atlanta just needs a draw in Cincinnati uh, to, to advance. Not a whole lot of heavy lifting there, you would think. Uh, Toronto, DC. They just they just need to not lose by eight goals. <laughs> you know that, that is, thing that Cincinnati classically does to people. I, I could see an eight goal margin in that match, actually. Just maybe yeah, going yeah, not the for Cincinnati. Yeah, just yeah. maybe going the other way. Uh, DC visits Toronto. Toronto's been ruining seasons left and right. Toronto <clears> just <throat> won the Canadian Championship. Toronto is still, of course, nowhere near playing for playoff contention on decision day. Uh, what DC needs is a win plus a Red Bull loss to Nashville plus a Montreal loss or draw. That would get United in. Unlikely for a team that was showing a lot of promise and then has really uh, sputtered down the stretch. Uh, Columbus and Chicago, this one's fun. The, the MLS Cup holders need a win plus a Red Bulls loss plus a Montreal loss or draw plus a seven-goal swing with Red Bulls. So if Nashville can do them a favor and, and win like 5 nothing. Then they they score three against a Chicago team that's going to be without some key players, it sounds like. They still need help even after that. Not looking too good for Columbus. And then New England-Miami, they will also play that game. <laughs> what are you looking at? Which match has high entertainment value for you as you're sitting up in the press box tracking what else is going on? Yeah, well, unfortunately, the web app for ESPN Plus doesn't do the multi-box, or I'd be watching them all at once. Yeah, <laughs> but, just bring uh, like six laptops. Right. Yeah. I have a couple devices going probably if they, if they start to heat up, but I think the, the most interesting one um, other than NYC Philadelphia, which has obvious implications directly on Nashville SC, it might be that Atlanta Cincinnati game because while Atlanta only needs a draw, I think the five stripes want to go into the playoffs feeling good about where they stand. And of course, both that and the Orlando Montreal game have implications on in terms of who Nashville might play in the first round of the playoffs depending on their results against New York Red Bulls. So I think kind of evaluating the form of those team and teams and, of course, seeing how those games play out such that we, we learn who Nashville will actually be playing is going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, it's not a stretch to look at these standings and, and easily see Nashville finishing third and Atlanta dropping one spot to sixth, uh, and that would, be, <clears throat> that would be a very interesting and maybe uh, – I mean, it, it's the first-round matchup you said Nashville would want to avoid when we talked about this earlier yeah. this week. Yeah, if, if, if that happens, I think we know that MLS – might might be rigged on decision day, um, which which is to say, I don't see I don't see Atlanta dropping no. because I, I think they pretty easily be Cincy. I'll just <laughs> close us out uh, with with my bold predictions for each match. And Tim, throw yours in if you if you want as well. Um, so NYC Philadelphia, I see an NYC win here. They've won three straight. They're always tough at home. Um, Philadelphia is playing well too, but I, I I think NYC could edge them here. Yeah, I see a draw because I think Philly will believe that a draw is enough to, to clinch second, and that's all they really need to play for. And if they're playing for a draw, it's hard for NYC to force the action. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, Montreal-Orlando, I see a draw here. Um, mm -hmm. I think Orlando's not been good enough to convince me they're going to go go win on the road. Montreal, ugh, I'm just not not impressed with them either. I think you know even to be in a position to try to clinch a playoff spot on decision day is a good place for them to be after the year they've had. I think a draw, mm -hmm. which means Orlando would advance. Yeah, if this was the Montreal team of a couple months ago, I might have a different take, but I, I agree with you. Draw on this one. Atlanta wins big against Cincinnati. We're both in agreement there. 
Yeah, yeah. 6-3 maybe. 7-3 because they want to try to, to top what Nashville did. Right. <laughs> um, Toronto, D.C., I, I think a draw is possible here. Toronto playing for pride, uh, but they've they've ruined some some folks' um, chances at clinching, including Montreal's um, here, here recently. I think they could ruin D.C.'s as well. I think D.C. comes out and plays like they have a chance to make the playoffs because they do. I just don't think it ultimately ends up working out for them in the end. Columbus, Chicago, who really cares because it probably doesn't matter, but I'll say Columbus will win big. Chicago, it looks like it's yeah. going to be without several key players. Um, I believe it was Taylor Twelman who reported uh, the night before recording that that Chicago could be without as many as six or seven players who have been told they will not be part of the club's plans next year. Seems inconvenient to tell them that right before decision day, uh, but it could work out well for Columbus. I just don't think it's going to matter for, for the ultimate standings. Yeah, agreed. I think Columbus wants to end the season on a high note, showing that they're not the team that they were most of the year and, and build into next year, but it's not going to be enough to make the playoffs. So our official playoff teams are, are identical then. Our seedings would be a little different. Mine would be New England first, Nashville second, because uh, I think they'll earn at least a draw against Red Bulls, and uh, that second place would come if uh, NYC does, as I predict, and, and beats Philadelphia. NYC would be third in that scenario, Philadelphia fourth. Atlanta 5th, Orlando 6th, and Red Bulls 7th, which would mean the bracket for me would be New England, of course, getting the bye, playing the winner of Philadelphia and Atlanta. Really juicy opening round match. They also played in CONCACAF Champions League this year. Nashville would have a rematch with Red Bulls in the first round at home and then would host, if they win, the winner of NYC and Orlando, which is a rematch of a crazy playoff first rounder from a year ago. Uh, this could be the juiciest possible playoff scenario. Also, having having these teams play each other uh, in that in that order, um, it, it's either way, Tim. I think there's there's been very little difference between second and eighth all year in the Eastern Conference, and the playoffs are going to be a blast. So is decision day. Yeah, I think I think Nashville and Philly could you could fairly say have separated themselves just a little bit, but there was sure. a time just a couple of weeks ago that NYC was right there with them. So. I think you're going to be able to, it's going to go exactly as planned at the top of this conference. It should be a thrilling playoff no matter who makes it. It's going to be fun, and we will bring you a full recap of Decision Day on Tuesday morning, as always. Thanks for listening to our bonus episode. Thanks to Dax for joining us for Moon Taxi and ESPN 94.9's highlights and music. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, follow us on Twitter. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network. We will see you Tuesday. Enjoy Decision Day. Decision Day.